der Triathlon Show 336. Hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael and on today's episode I interview Owen Everard. Owen is a physiotherapist with a PhD in biomechanics. He is a sub four minute miler and a multiple Irish national champion. In this interview we discuss topics ranging from injury prevention to strength training, plyometrics and running biomechanics. Uh, but before that, big thanks to our sponsors. First, we have Precision Fuel and Hydration that have a range of tools and products to help you personalize your fueling and hydration strategy so that you can perform at your best. Everyone sweats differently, both in terms of sweat rate and sweat sodium concentration. So you need to ha- uh, personalize your hydration strategy accordingly. And your fueling strategy should be adapted based on the duration and intensity of exercise or competition, as well as your ability to tolerate certain amounts and types of fuel. You can use the free online sweat test and the quick carb calculator on precisionfuelandhydration.com to understand your fluid, electrolyte, and carbohydrate needs during training and racing. And in addition, you can book a free one-on-one consultation with the team at Precision Fuel and Hydration to refine your strategy. As a listener of that travel show, you can get 15% off your first order uh, by using the promo code TTS22 at checkout on precisionfuelandhydration.com. And thank you to Zen8. The Zen8 Indoor Swim Trainer is a one-of-a-kind swim bench that helps you improve your technique through an early catch, it helps you maximize propulsion for a more powerful stroke, and it helps you stay consistent by doing swim workouts at home even when you can't go to the pool. It is available in the UK, the EU, and the US, with free shipping in both the UK and the US. It is very affordable, similar to a pair of running shoes, and best of all, the investment is risk-free. If you're not in love with the Zenate Swim Trainer after two weeks of using it, you can send it back and get a full refund. Learn more and get a 20% discount on your swim trainer on zenateswimtrainer.com forward slash TTS. Now, without any further ado, let's get into the interview with Owen Everard. Welcome to that Triathlon Show, Owen. How are you doing? Very good, Mikkel. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm a big fan of the show, so it's a real honor to be able to um, talk to you today. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, it's been quite some time since uh, we've discussed this topic of injury prevention. We'll talk about some other things as well, but but we'll start there. And uh, and it's obviously a very important one because as anybody who's heard a couple of episodes of the show know, consistency is the most important thing in endurance sports. And if you're injured, you can't be consistent. So, so looking forward to getting into that. But first, can you introduce yourself and tell us a bit more about yourself and your background? Yeah, totally, I suppose. Um, so yeah, my name's... Uh, Owen Everard. Professionally, I, I'm a chartered physiotherapist here in Ireland with a PhD in biomechanics that was really looking at movement analysis and its relationship to injury. Um, I suppose I invented a back wear belt, which is a wearable technology that gives you feedback on your back position so you know you're exercising correctly. And I run like sports Pilates courses, say for runners or triathletes. Um, and I lecture here in Ireland. So that's kind of my professional background. Um, from a running background, then I've run at a high national level for about 20 years, which is kind of crazy to say. I've won five national uh, titles here. I've ran for Ireland about over 10 times from 1500 European senior track championships in Holland to 
10,000 meter cross country uh, European Championships in Lisbon. And then I ran a sub four minute mile and um, sub eight minutes for 3K and sub 14 minutes for 5K. So that's a very quick background on myself. That's very impressive. And now I'm really curious to find out where the hell in Lisbon they, they had the cross country championships because I can't think of where. Oh my where God. That would you be. know, it was crazy. Um, it's like a park in Lisbon. And it was like, uh, I think it's where they have concerts because it was so hilly. I mean, oh, it's like in the big in the big central park, the big forest, the big park. central park. Okay. So it was like one side you literally fell down a cliff and then had to kind of zigzag your way back up, then fall back down the cliff. It was kind of a crazy place to put it, to be fair. Yeah, yeah, I run there all the time, but I wouldn't have imagined that they would put a cross-country championship there because it's more trail than than (laughs) cross-country. Yes, yeah, 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 exactly, yeah. It's it's nuts. Oh, yeah, that's uh, funny. I really enjoyed Lisbon. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, thank you for the introduction. Uh, That's really impressive running running resume, and and of course, and you have a lot of things going on professionally as well. So, so let's start by discussing uh, just injury prevention. And something that you said in our email uh, conversation was that triathletes tend to get injured uh, in the tendons and joints rather than muscle tears, and maybe that's a good place to start. Why why is that, and how how is that relevant for us? Yeah, I think, uh, like I said, we want to give some practical good advice today, but I think before we start with that, it's very important to look at, like, how do people get injured? Um, so if you, um, if you compare, say, a triathlete to, like, a soccer player or a football player, they don't get muscle tears you know it's very very rare you hear someone like oh i tore my hamstring or i tore my quad um and that gives you a kind of hint of what's going on basically we sustain muscles to the passive um the passive structures of the body which are like you know your keyless tendonitis plantar fasciitis your knee your hip those type of things because there's essentially three types of systems that help us Uh, take load the first is the passive system there are ligaments our tendons our joints the second one is the active system which is the muscular system Um, and that's where the muscles should be taking a lot of the force and the last is the control system which is the nervous system making the muscles switch on in the right time making sure that we have say good mechanics um, and we're aware of those mechanics the problem is that because say triathlon uh, triathletes and runners, they run in a small range of motion. The muscles can get very lazy, and we essentially overload the passive structures of the body because the muscles are not doing their fair share. So there's two kind of key things there that why those injuries occur are one a lack of variety, because the same kind of part in the tissues kind constantly getting loaded, and then the second is uh and inactivity of the muscular system um which means that the passive system the passive systems there anyway but that gets overloaded and um causes breakdown okay so so if it is the passive system that is um that gets injured then how how do we prevent that what what can be done to to avoid that situation yeah, I think I think as we said, like the key things, the first one would be variation. I think that's why like coaches like the scientific triathlon are so important, not just physiologically to make sure that you get the most out of the training you're doing, but also from an injury perspective. I find that people that don't have a coach 
um, tend to just revert to the same type of training or um, a major mistake I find that um, that say novice triathletes can do is just constantly doing the same training like they might just go out for the same run or do the same cycle or and what happens there is there's no variety so this the same type of tissue is getting uh, overloaded and the same joint range is getting uh, moved into so it's really important that you're bearing up your training like having some threshold work in there some intervals say some long running and we'll, we'll come back to that as well you know changing your surface changing your shoes you have sometimes um one thing i really recommend for people is like running strides i like uphill strides i'm on a slight incline um and i recommend those for several reasons one or two i'll, I'll talk about later but uh the main reason is that it increases the amount of range of motion that you're doing enough like a joint if you can imagine it having like it's synovial fluid but if you can think of like oil fluid uh oil on your chain of your bike it's like by moving the joint through the range of motion by lengthening out those muscles that allows the joint to move healthily which which really helps the second thing as we said was it's the passive structure is getting overloaded because the muscular system has got lazy essentially so you need to wake that up and how you do that is to strengthen the muscles that can either be done through like sports pilates um where you get the muscles really burning or to gym work and i know um, listening to your previous podcasts you'll be an advocate of that as well and again of lifting heavy like don't be afraid of doms initially or progressing what you're doing like when we're doing the pilates you're getting the muscles to burn and it can be a bit of a shock for triathletes initially because they're not used to you know they're like they're they're not used to really working or going to a gym and and starting to lift but i'm like you're sitting eight to ten hours a day it's going to take more than a 30 second stretch to rebalance your body it takes like you know we do i do pilates maybe once per week is your minimum but it takes like a good 45 minutes once a week or maybe 20 minutes splats uh two or three times a week and really burn the muscles you got to wake these things up they are lazy they are lazy 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 so you need to wake these up and it's like oh why did it get lazy it's like you sit 10 hours a day it's not a stretch that's going to get you out of that it's not i stretch my glutes you know um bring the leg over and i wonder why it's it's not kicking in it's really activating those muscles um you know to get them burning as i said and then that allows them because then once they're primed essentially because you've innervated of them you've excited them when you're running then or even when we're like swimming or whatever you're getting those stabilizer muscles much they're much more activated so they're much more ready to be able to take the load it's like having a guy asleep and you're doing all the work say that's our passive system it's like if you wake him up and he's like on caffeine he's just there naturally going to be like oh here i'll lend a hand um so that would be the second thing really strengthening the muscles and that takes if you could do that as you said all the injuries that triathletes get will be passive injuries it's very rare if it is even a muscle strain it's not because you strain the muscle it's most likely like say an si joint or something is 
is caught and the muscle is kind of just being overloaded again as opposed to a tear um just thinking about some of the exercises if you want we can go before let's go for the next uh, next point there the first one i think is really good is the single leg deadlift so what that is you stand on one leg i slightly bend the knee on the leg i'm standing on and you bring the other leg back as far as you can so like a pendulum now you want to keep the leg that's lifting and your body in a line and it's a the key faults I see with that, as soon as the back leg stops lifting, stop lowering your body. So initially, you might be only like 10 or 20 degrees off, off vertical. That's fine. It's better that than people like fold in their back and they're not going to get it in the position. Why I really like the single leg deadlift, it really works all the posterior chain, which have a tendency to uh, weaken. And it works on balance and it works in that like standing position. So single leg deadlifts, again, I would do um, sets of five, five seconds holding for like sets of, or, sorry, reps of 10 and maybe three sets. And again, you should be burning. Like I, I can't em- overemphasize how do you know when to stop when your leg is on fire and you shake out the leg. Like anyone who has any calf injuries, shin or Achilles, I can't recommend that exercise enough. A lot of times people do heel drops, heel raises, um, which are fine in certain cases. But a lot of times the calf, again, because the range of motion and the knee lift isn't there for people um, when they run, the calf is overloaded. So a lot of times what we try to do is strengthen an overloaded area rather than get the other areas working to take, take load off that area. You know, it's the same at the knee. A lot of times we're doing excessive amounts of squats or lunges, which are fine for appropriate load, but make sure that the other parts of the chain are strong. For swimming, one that I really like is, it's called like a prone lying um, shoulder abduction. And I don't mind, I could do a video um, for you, Mikkel, just with these exercises in it, explaining it to people. Yes, sometimes please, that would be great. Could, Yeah, perfect. I'll send that on to you. I'll just do it up and we'll make a little YouTube clip or something. Um, Just to explain this one, you're lying on your stomach. We're lifting the upper back, lifting the upper back. Now, bringing your elbows into the side. As I said, I'll do a video showing it and then bringing the arms down and then back up. Two keys. We're just lifting the upper back to try to get extension in the upper back. Because again, we're sitting at a desk we're on our phones, so we're hunched. So if we're also doing a lot of front crawl, you want something that's going to rebalance out the body. One thing I would recommend here is people have a tendency to squeeze the shoulder blades together. They should never do that. You just bring your elbows into the side as you try to like lift your upper back. Why you don't want to squeeze your shoulder blades together? There's a muscle called the rhomboid. And what the rhomboid does is um, if you start squeezing together, you're going to overactivate that muscle. When you're doing front crawl, it's really important that the shoulder blade can kind of move up and out. And if you've overly got squeezing your shoulder blades together, essentially it makes the shoulder blade stick in that position. So it makes that front crawl position um, harder and it can cause like an impingement in your shoulder. So just bring your elbows into your side that'll activate the right muscles, the lower traps, while lifting your upper back. And again, as I said, I'll do um, I'll do 
a series of these exercises, say for um for the scientific triathlon, and we'll just put it up then. The last yeah. ones obviously are just good core and glute exercises. Trying to keep a neutral spine is really important. That will activate the muscles correctly. And as I said, last plug I'll say for the back aware belt, that's why I came up with it so that people knew when they're in the right position. But again, we'll just do those exercises up. I think it'll be, you know, five, five I might just do a five minute clip with them. And I think it'll really help people if they did them a couple of times a week, it would be a massive start, you know, um, of what to do. And then just on their own, get it burning, get it to where you feel like I can't do another rep of this. Um, and and you'll be surprised how quickly the, the delayed muscle soreness will go away, the DOMS. And then how quick, how quickly, like little niggles that were were catching you will start to leave. Um, the last one then would be the I would say appropriate load. And again, you had a great podcast previously on this, looking at tendon and load, which I'd recommend people to listen to. But if you're in a building phase, don't load more than say ten percent. And then every fourth week, drop back to the load you were doing the first week okay so if that's intensity if that's duration if that's um you know like distance just load every 10 percent. once you're at a good level of training there's a thing called the acute to chronic workload ratio which essentially looks at your level of fitness it's not how much you do um we can talk about that but the main thing is it's sudden spikes in training above what you're used to like basically dividing what you've done in the last say four or five weeks by what you're doing this week it's big sudden spikes in training that cause injury much more than how much you're doing now i mentioned the importance of strides for just keeping the variety in because we want to be running slow we want to be doing threshold we want to be doing strides for speed work that helps the joints, say, biomechanically. But it also helps because to keep strides or speed work in in your block phase. So if you're if you're doing like um if you're doing like a block phase in training and you're it's a you're doing a lot of longer a longer spins or longer cycles, having getting your legs turning if you're going to go back to say Olympic distance in the summer, it's important to keep a little bit that of that in rather than having this big block of endurance, this switch from that type of training to the sh- to quicker type of training is what will, what really causes the increased chance of injury. So if I can give an example there, um, if you have someone in running, say, and you're doing block work in the, you know, so, so, with, kind of, so with block work here you just mean basically quite high volume high volume high, low high volume low intensity yeah. in the summer like say like that kind of endurance kind of fundamental phase training yeah it doesn't take much say for someone to add in five by 200 meters at like say 3k or 1500 meter pace like either before a training session or um, either before a training session or on the day after a session, do these as part of an easier run. 
but what that does is then over over the weeks one it helps your running economy because you're constantly running quicker uh even though that's not the main focus of the training it's not going to fatigue you if you take your adequate break but when you then transition back to a track sessions say if you want to get quicker or you're you're getting ready for more like 5k work well you have kind of 3k pace in your legs you haven't just done all like half marathon pace marathon pace over the winter and then have never gone near this stuff and then you're doing a lot more of this so the body's not used to it so including that it's similar if you're um now getting ready for say olympic distance triathletes uh, triathlons in the summer and the running set you're doing a lot more running sessions that are interval based it doesn't take a lot before the training session starts to do one mile or five minutes at like threshold pace it'll actually feel quite slow but what it does is again one it keeps your aerobic base topped up two it keeps your body used to that or if you're doing your intervals not reduce your long run or not reduce your long cycle until you're in that very peak phase because when then the transition back say it's only been two or three weeks when you were really peaking that you haven't done longer volume um it's uh, instead of being like eight weeks or 10 weeks and then you get back into that type of training you're trying to ramp it quite quickly and then that's when you break down so it's just important that we keep all the um all the elements that we need in the program at all times even in small little, little bits with that acute chronic workload that's the thing these sudden spikes where we try transition is where you're most vulnerable so keeping those things in so i think those three things having variation built into your program adding strides or having like say strength training just to move the joints biomechanically in different ways secondly making sure there's some element of strength training in your program be that a pilates or be that a gym and not being afraid once we can talk about how to structure a gym correctly but not being afraid to stress the muscles these are lazy you are sitting for most of us a lot of hours in the day they need like someone in a deep sleep to be shaking going hey wake up <laughs> it's time to go and then lastly would be no like keeping the key elements that you need um you you'd be much more akin for like say the bicycle analogies how would that work say with that last one of what to keep in say for a bike or or swim yeah no it's that's a good point i mean in the, the swim i think is really a perfect example because there even when you're in the very kind of early phases of your base training you would always do a little bit of speed work naturally that's kind of what all yes. traditional swim programs do look like in cycling it's a little bit more i do try to work in a little bit of intensity even when we're in that phase so even if it just looks like a few one to two minute efforts at threshold maybe uh precede that with a couple of sprints so then you get that really high end and basically it's it's about on the bike it's more for me for the way i see it anyway not so much about injury prevention because the bike is very kind of it's very safe injury wise yeah. but it's it's more about you know have keeping those 
uh, fast twitch muscle fibers activated so that you yes. have an easier time getting them to to do their workload when we start to get into the, the more intense training later on so yeah i do completely agree with those things you mentioned but as you say in running it's especially important because it's not just about performance but also so much of it is about injury prevention because running is where most most triathlon injuries do happen yeah exactly exactly it's like it's and as you said it's not even what's great about these is it's not like you have to sacrifice um sacrifice a performance thing to make sure you don't you get the consistency of not being injured these actually work hand in hand yes exactly no completely a couple of other follow-up uh, points on that so so you mentioned there that the sitting really kind of kills the activation of your muscles a bit yeah what do you think do you have any opinion on using standing desks so you can stand for a while during your work day does that help at all or is it yeah it does the the biggest thing you can do is changing position so micro breaks we call them so for every hour you sit you should be standing for one minute so mm. if there is a time where you can't you can't stand for whatever reason um for two hours you need to s- stand up and move for two minutes after that but yeah for every hour we should be standing should try stand up at least for one minute so in a standing desk if you can st- sit for a while bring it up, stand back down. Obviously, when you're standing, though, you're activating the muscles more. So there's, um, there, and you might sit just for the minute and then go back into the standing. So it does allow you to activate the core muscles. It holds the back in a better position. So they are a good idea. If you are sitting, I would always just recommend sit fully back into the chair. So have your bum back as far back into the chair as you can and then get a towel, roll it up, and put it in the small, in that arch in your lower back. And that will keep your your curve in the right position. Because a lot of times what happens is people sit out slightly from the chair, and then they kind of naturally will slouch back into the chair, which will kind of round their back and their pelvis and, and cause some issues. Yeah, yeah. I'm getting very conscious now about how I, how I sit. <laughs> no, everything does. <laughs> uh, then the other thing that I want to ask is, uh, what about doing some sort of pre-run activation drills or mobilization, whatever you want to, talk, to call it? What, what's your opinion on that? Yeah, you, like, look, people ask me sometimes, like, when's the best time to do it? Like, obviously, if you can do uh, some foam rolling beforehand, there's generally, like, we usually like to mobilize first so if you could do if if everything was if you're a professional do some of your foam rolling hockey ball work around your glutes and hips um and again i'll I'll send on a little uh little routine there and then then just to do some basic activation of like say glutes and your single leg deadlift but for the most of us if we're working whenever you can at least once a week try to um do some kind of strength training or kind of Pilates type work. And if you could do the single leg deadlift for 20 seconds before you went out of a run or or even afterwards, it wouldn't matter. Like cumulatively over time it'll just help. Yeah, so it's more about getting the work done than necessarily doing it specifically right before you're running. Is is that kind of what you think? Yeah, that's what I would think. If you if you can do it before you run like a normal run, obviously a war- like a, a session, you need to warm up appropriately or a workout, so you need to warm up appropriately. But a normal run, sometimes I find that if I give people time recommendations, 
The problem is that they 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 don't have the time to do it beforehand, so they just never do it. So I'm like, whenever you can do it, do it. Hmm. So ideally, if you could do it beforehand to mobilize and then activate, great. But if you have to do it afterwards, if you have to do it 10, 10 p.m. on a Wednesday, that's fine. It's better having a time that suits you because then you'll do it as opposed to saying, well, I just don't have time to do it then. And and then it gets left out completely of the whole program. Mm, yeah. And then the final follow-up question, I think, was on the strength training and uh, getting your muscles burning. So with some of the exercises you described, like a single leg deadlift, yeah, that, that's pretty easy to to make that happen but yeah. with some other ones like the one for swimming and you didn't specifically name the core and glute exercises but i imagine that some of them maybe are more kind of body weight uh, so it might be hard to actually get to the point where your muscles are burning maybe if you're very new and novice to strength training yeah then you can do it with whatever exercise yeah once, once they're up to as i said I'll, i'll send on a little routine Um, you'll see when we're doing that one, I usually just have a band in my hand. So I just transfer the band from my right hand to my left hand overhead, lift my upper back, bring the elbows in, and then extend my arms and transfer the band at my back on the other end. We, We do that for a minute. I turn over on my back, bring my arms overhead just to take a little break. We do, if we'll do three minutes of that, to like 90 seconds of that, they'll be burning. Mm. They'll know they've done it. Right. Yeah. Yeah not to it doesn't have to be complete like obviously strength training or strength is a different type of fatigue you won't be i'm not expecting people sweating or going crazy but just to where the muscle feels like really fatigued yeah and how how would you place strength training in relation to your key workouts in a week we can talk about this from a running perspective like if you have a track workout on a tuesday and thursday and a harder long run on saturday that's a pretty typical runner schedule quite often like three harder workouts then what days would you do the strength training if you can expect that you might be sore after those workouts would you do them on the same day as the hard workouts a bit later on the the elite runners do that yeah um like i was um training with say the melbourne track club or the australian um the Australian team and they call it like triple Tuesday. So they'll do their session. They'll do the workout in the morning. They'll do their, uh, gym in the afternoon and then they'll do an easy run in the evening. And they'll do that on the days of the, of their session. The idea being that you're taxing the nervous system. So, um, you want to just tax the nervous system on one day and let the nervous system kind of relax with like easier running or easier swimming or cycling the next day so that when you're doing say your hard session you also have your gym in that day or you have your pilates in that day for other people um i generally i just if if time is a factor say if i'm doing a workout on a tuesday or we do a workout on a wednesday another workout on saturday and then another uh, long run on sunday it's just the way you know just with work so i'll do my pilates on a monday then Mm. after the long run um or my and then maybe on a gym on the thursday after the session day yeah and that gives me friday to recover and then um a saturday for um saturday for the session again 
once you get up to a certain level, you're not looking to like you you kind of know once you've done it for say maybe like eight weeks, ten weeks, you're at a good threshold level just to kind of maintain. And then I'm not looking for me personally, I'm not looking for massive performance gains from the gym. I'm looking for that to kind of help prevent injury and keep me at a general strength level. Um and then hopefully let my training bring on the actual performances. Yeah. Yeah, I think those are good points. And uh, it's a question that I get quite often, actually. And I always answer that, well, first of all, do it when you have time. Like, it doesn't yes. matter what's the ideal day if you don't have time on that day. So so you kind of have to make things work, even if it's sometimes uh, imperfect, but it's it's better than nothing. Uh, but- I, I, Mikel, I think that is such a good point, because as a physio, that's what I see where people it's just human nature. We know we want this. And say, if you're talking to a physio or you're feeling better, you're really enthusiastic and you're willing to do it at any time, but then life gets in the way. So you're so much better at like, okay, when can you commit to this? You know, if you can commit to an activation exercise, whenever, just do it then. And the timing you can get to, like, if you're at that level, that's brilliant. And we can kind of critique it, but it's just like, can you get it in sometime in the week? Yeah. Um, are there any other injury prevention tips and strategies that we should talk about? I, I do, there are some other aspects of strength training that we can go into more depth in, but, but before that, anything else we should mention about injury prevention? Well, we're not, it's not as much, um, injury prevention. I was just looking at, we, you know, we discussed kind of prior to this, there's maybe a couple of topics and it might be that idea of, running economy like how we run which would take pressure off the joints but also improves our efficiency for performance and plyometrics like how do we um add those in because inherently they can be a little unsafe doing jumping and landing especially if people have poor technique so there was a really interesting study i found that we could talk about if you want yep sure so the study i found um looked at and i've done this myself and i looked at skipping so what they did was people who would skip, say, between three and five minutes, two to five times a week, and then the other group would just do additional running in that time. And what they found was that the people who skipped, they improved their plyometric performance, such as like drop jump, counter movement jump, and like joint stiffness over a 10-week period. And they also had a time trial. And their times came back down 3%, say, in the 3K, where the people who had just done additional running, their times came down about 1.5% on average. So it's just, I find that people doing hops or landings, especially with poor technique or plyometrics, can be a little bit, um, like, a little bit dangerous um, if not done correctly. Whereas what I really like about skipping is it's a self-limiting exercise. Now, what that means is that you can't skip unless you can skip correctly. So what I recommend people to do is, I just have a skipping rope in my car. People do it before a warm-up again. Um, personally, I'm a, I jog a lot of times from my house. I just always have it in my car outside. So when I finish a run, I come back on an easy day, I grab the skipping rope, I'll come home five minutes early or three minutes early. I do three minutes generally. And you just skip. And I take a little break after a minute. 
for like five seconds. But the first day, when you can't skip, you'll only you'll only get over the rope, you know, like in the minute, like twenty times maybe, because you're you're do it, you hit the rope. You do it, you hit the rope. Whereas most people, if they don't have the coordination, if there was no rope involved, you could just be hopping, landing, and like not not hitting the force, not like getting used to like keeping the joint stiff the way you should. In a rope, it actually it's it's a self limiting exercise. As I said, it stops you doing it incorrectly, and you can only skip if you can skip correctly. And what you'll find is I've done it with my patients as well, and um, just over time, it's not doesn't even take that long. Usually they're they're moving through their knees too much, but I see them in say three four weeks later, and they're so much more efficient. Two legs, one leg. Uh, we usually go twenty double leg, ten single leg repeated, ten single leg the other side, and then one two on the right leg, one two on the left leg, and we alternate that say ten times. Then I take a little break, and if I can get that done say three times in the three minutes, I'm happy. So I thought that was a really interesting uh, little study and it's a nice way of adding a kind of gym kind of plyometrics uh, portion to training improving that variation that we have again that also improves uh, running performance that's very easy to add in and a very safe way to add it in that's really interesting uh, actually because I've I've done a very similar thing in uh, in my coaching with plyometrics adding in what I have found to be a minimal effective dose of plyometric exercises that is safe. Uh, and that has basically been 10 uh, pogo jumps, double-legged, 10 pogo jumps, really? single-legged uh, of each leg, and then doing one or two sets of that. And so it's very similar, obviously, without the skipping rope, but but the actual movement is the, the jumps are pretty much the same. Although, as you said, there, there are some ad- advantages of doing it with the rope in that you it becomes self-limiting in that way. But but it's it's interesting because I was not aware of that study as well, but but it's just what I found in anecdotally that yeah, it's, yeah, it's something yeah. that everybody can do. It doesn't take up a lot of time. It, it it does seem very safe compared to drop jumps and stuff like that. I think most athletes uh, should be quite conservative when it comes to those more advanced exercises. Massive, massively so because a lot of athletes were what we call functionally dysfunctional. So within running swimming and cycling it's quite safe now once you start going outside of those remits with with things that would be perceived like more dangerous that's why even with the strides i always tell people go about 90 percent. never go like 100 percent, like flat out at at a stride this is only something to keep the fast twitch fibers moving to keep the range of motion it's not it, it should never feel hard, never force these things. And as you said, having a minimal effective dose of your 10 pogos um, or your little bit of skipping, as I said, and skipping is great because you don't have to worry about if they're doing them correctly. They'll just keep hitting the rope if they aren't. Um, it, it just allows them to do it in a much more safe manner because we don't want to get injured from supplementary training. Yeah, no, exactly. Uh, and and I think that's one thing with plyometrics as well, because there are a lot of good studies on plyometrics out there, and you, you see those sorts of improvements that you mentioned, three percent. Even there are some studies showing even slightly more than that. I think four four yeah. percent, depending on the level of the athletes. But but the protocols in those studies are often they include quite quite a lot of plyometric training, and and the reality yes. is that 
you really need to be conservative when, when building up to to those sorts of, of loads for, for many athletes. Otherwise, you, you do get injured. And, and I think a lot of us underestimate just how careful you have to be with your progression of plyometric exercises. Like, it, it's really, really crazy. And, and that, this is an area where where it's the most dangerous to just go and grab a training protocol off the internet uh, from This is the thing. Yeah, yeah. This, as you said, and you said something really, really good, Mikael, there minimal effective dose these are supplementary things you get better at cycling by cycling you get better at running by running you get better at swimming by swimming these are things that can just complement but sometimes we can go ott with how much strength training we do we're doing we can go ott with even how much pilates or or plyometrics we do loads of hops and there is a it's a kind of a little irish saying it's like Oh, if a little is good, a lot must be better. And that's not the case. You know, where people think, oh, I was doing a little bit of that. It helps. And then they go crazy into it. You know, I like doing a little bit of barefoot running. But you see some people who do, they go, oh, yeah, that was great. I feel good. And then they do loads and get a stress fracture. And then they tell you like, oh, barefoot running is terrible. It's like, no, a small bit to wake up your feet is brilliant you got to be very careful, as you said, if you and I want to do all your training that way. A small little bit of plyometrics. As I said, if you're doing it, I would personally recommend a skipping rope. That way you can do it safely. And then once you get to say that, as you said, I'm at three minutes, maybe twice a week. I'm never moving past that because I know that's enough to kind of stimulate that system. Um. So it's kind of knowing what thresholds are. And that's where, again, having a coach like yourself or people on the scientific triathlon, it's just great to get that um, feedback. Mm, yeah. And staying on the running economy side of things. So you talked a little bit about your PhD in biomechanics. Uh, can we get a bit deeper into, into that and uh, specifically talk about whether it makes sense to focus on your running form or your running stride and, and your, your mechanics in that way? Can, can, are there a lot of things that people can gain that way? And what are the downsides? Great. Excellent question. Uh, no is the main thing. Don't, um, don't focus on your stride. This is, is popular. Like I try beyond my toes. I try hold. Um, Shukra and Perrington 2018, they did a nice study. And what they found was that the group, they had one group who focused on running mechanics, you know, up tall like being on your toes uh, another group focus on your breathing so there are two internal things to do try breathe relaxed the last group was external focus they were just watching a tv the external focus the group watching the tv had better running efficiency like uh, um taking oxygen and running with less vertical oscillations so more forward projection than the the other two groups and that replicates previous findings in the area so um i think it's bob atara in golf talks about this where a lot of times he does a lot on golf swings and his his he says to a lot of professionals just look down the fairway and hit it down there because he wants to get them out of their heads and it's the same for us it's like there's a couple of things here it's like your body your subconscious is so much more powerful than your conscious brain. It's like you've learned, like we as humans have evolved for, you know, millions of years now where, and you've evolved from whatever age you were 
from basically the start of learning the mechanics what you want to eat so you thinking you can run a better way than intern your body is allowing you is a recipe for disaster i knew a guy who did that constantly tried run on his toes because a competitor ran on his toes and uh, he was a really good runner the guy won the europeans uh, the guy who naturally ran like that and the other guy came second in the european junior championships but he was finished running with Achilles problems at 20. Because if you don't have a perfect stride, there's probably a reason. So what I say to people is they need to work on the building blocks so much more. And the main building blocks for good movement are the first block to work on. Good mobility. If you can't move through your ankle joint, if you can't move to your hip joint, it is nearly impossible to move correctly when you're running by just trying to tell your body to do that so you need to focus on getting moving better the main joints that we have there's a joint by joint approach that certain joints are mobile certain joints are stable the main joints that should have good mobility are the ankle the hip the upper back so if you're going to focus on mobility focus on there 95 percent of people will be fine then if you have decent mobility, stability, like activation, like sw- like key muscles switching on. So your glutes, your core, essentially there, your shoulder retractors, uh, your balance. To make sure that you, do you have good balance? Do you have like good posterior chain strength? Do you have good core strength? These are the things that make, like you, if you can't say hold a plank or do a, uh, a bird dog, like lifting your opposite arm and the opposite leg, or do a crawl on the ground. There is no way you are going to be able to hold good running form through your core if you don't have that strength by thinking, let hold here. It doesn't work like that. You need these building blocks. Um and then and then the body, I always say it's like give the body the tools, and if it uses those tools, then that's brilliant. That's that's what um that's what it'll do if it if it helps you it the body will use it if it doesn't there's some internal reason it's not using that and then the last thing is technique where we we would do technique like running uh, drills like your a skips your b skips i like strides with like a bar over my head and try to keep the bar solid or just even put your two arms above your head so i'll i'll start running to get up to a good speed say if you're doing your strides that we've we said keep in and then put your two arm, arms overhead or a bar overhead and don't try, don't let the bar to move. And that's going to really cause um, your muscles to activate. Franz Bosch does a lot of good work in this. So there's times where you can work on your stride, no problem. But once I start running, once I'm like actually just out for a run or doing a session, never ever again try consciously change something when you're running the most you could do is like keep your head steady like focus down the track and then give your body the building blocks you'll naturally change if it's something that you should do and if you don't you're going to cause more problems in your work because as i said that subconscious brain is so underestimated of like what we're actually programming in that we just nearly arrogantly think oh yeah well you should just be on your toes it's like yeah if you run 
if you have the the calf strength otherwise you could like rupture your Achilles like that guy did that I know you know and and um I think that's one thing that I see where like it was nice that study showed it but that's I think focus on the building blocks rather than just like I'll run with this type of form you know uh, other things you can do is, is run barefoot it'll naturally shorten your stride um and make it again self-limiting and again just don't overdo it yeah, so so you're saying basically that the the body self optimizes within the constraints that you have with those building blocks. So so it's not to say that you can't improve your form, but the way to improve your form is, for example, if you have very poor mobility in the ankle or the hip or uh, or or the spine, then by improving that building block, you, your body will then start to re optimize for the improved mobility and your form will change, but it will happen automatically. It's not by a conscious That's focus. exactly it. You, that, Miguel, you said, it'd be a lot shorter podcast than you were doing, but yeah, exactly. <laughs> Self-optimizing is the perfect way. It's like, trust your body. And as you said, focus on the building blocks. What is it that, okay, I'm quite stiff or inflexible, work on that. I'm not actually that stable through my core, work on that. Yeah. You know, the, then it could be, I never really focus on my mechanics work on them through drills and through like concentrated little concentrated drills of stride like doing a stride focusing on being on your toes or keeping your head steady but after that then leave it alone yeah no your body will self-optimize it yeah yeah i i think I, I was able to to summarize that because we're very aligned on on this topic and i've answered that question quite a few times as well we actually yeah, brilliant. We, yeah. we ran a training camp recently and some feedback that we got when 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 we asked about okay so what are the things that the participants felt that they missed or that they would have liked to have that we didn't do and quite a few athletes actually said like running form analysis and and then that's uh, that's where I was thinking that oh yeah there's actually a lot of people that really do think that somebody can look at you run and tell that okay you should be doing this and then you will run better but I mean I think to to me and to us it's very clear that that's not how it works. It's actually probably even worse to have somebody look at you and, and say how you should run because there have been studies with that as well. They have coaches, uh, high, very experienced, good high-level coaches look at people and try to guess who is the most economical runner and they got it completely wrong just by looking at yeah. what somebody looks 100%. like. I actually, I had a, a guy come to me. He, he was a good, very good sprinter and um with a hamstring straight like a bad hamstring tear so obviously sprinters get tears because they use the muscles um so we we did a it was he was out for about eight weeks so it was a quite comprehensive rehabilitation um but he, when he went back running his coach came up to me afterwards he actually booked an appointment he was like what did he do with x because for two years i've been trying to we've been working on drills and he's always doing these same things wrong and he's come back and he's just, he's getting him all down now. And I, as I said, you need to go mobility first, activation, stability, then the mechanics. I was like, he didn't have the, the previous building blocks required. So you're trying to ask him to do something that fundamentally he can't do even in a simple sense. Um, and that is like, people think we all want magic bullets. And sometimes it's like, oh, if I was just running smoother, if I looked nicer, but the way to get that is true actual doing the couple of running drills your kind of strength work and your mobility work yeah and then as you said and as you said people who focus on that i just think it's it doesn't 
I've never seen it work. No. I've never seen it last either. Yeah, same, same. Um, one other thing that uh, we could go into is the strength training kind of progression. You, you had some thoughts around how to basically how to build a strength training program and the structure of it. So can you discuss that a bit? Yeah, perfect. So I really like Alvar Mayle's um, hierarchy. And the idea being this is like having an essential goal of how do we how do we take like a beginner and bring them up to where they're fast and they're fit and they're strong. So on the base of the pyramid would be good movement. This is just what we talked about, good mobility, stability or activation, and motor control is technique. So it's important to focus on um, one to start with where you are. So if you haven't done a lot or to kind of analyze yourself in where you think you could be here, like is your is your actual movements like your squat, your lunge, your hinge actually up to par. So that's where you're going to do stuff like your yoga, your sports, Pilates, um, lighter weight, very just focused on your technique to build that foundation. Once you have that, the next level that you need to get good at is what's called work capacity or anatomical adaptation. And that's the ability to tolerate load. It's like, you know, anatomical adaptation and the anatomy adapting it. So getting it prepared for the type of work that you want to do in the gym. How you do that would be through, say, more circuit type training, still having decent enough rep, uh, like, you know, 10 to 20 reps, still decent enough weight. Like I might do like a kettlebell swing if I have a good hinge. So a kettlebell swing, 20 reps at 20 kgs. Or it could be a split squat, um, which is essentially a lunge, um, holding maybe like a 10 to a 15 kg weight in my hand or even in both hands, but doing like 15 reps each side. Not much recovery needed here. Like we just go from one exercise to the other to the other. I generally like this. I, I don't... As I said, for me, it's more of an injury prevention. So good movement, the work capacity uh, is the goal generally for me, um, keeping those things topped up. And I'll, as I'll talk about in when we plan a session, you always have all of these elements in a program. What it is is how much focus you put on each of them. Um, and I'll talk about that in a second. So I'll just talk about the different components. So once you have good movement, good work capacity or your body is prepared it's generally strong enough for this if if people wanted to really focus on the gym they would then look at maximum strength a maximum strength especially if you're trying to generate speed is the ability to generate force so if you have a car it's that car is never going to be that um fast if it doesn't have good horsepower like a one liter car will never beat a three-liter car, even if it's very efficient. It just doesn't have the horsepower. So maximum strength, and as we said, like maximum strength is going to help activate the muscles more, would be the next layer to work on if we're building like a kind of a, an athlete from the ground up. Once you have maximum strength, the next goal would be either strength speed, which is power. So, But the focus would be more on the strength element compared to the speed. Examples of exercises you would do here would be 
um, like Olympic lifts. I like heavy sleds, like so pushing a sled or pushing a car because there's no landing, um, but it's still a good way to like push to get the speed in. Then we could go speed strength, where the emphasis now is on how quick we do the exercise rather than how much we're lifting. So classics are lighter sleds, maybe like 20 kgs, or jumps. Again, just be careful if you have any knee issues. So holding a, like a hex bar, which would be roughly about 20 kgs, and doing like a squat jump or lighter Olympic lifts, but really focusing on the speed of the movement. Then you would get into your plyometrics, which we've discussed about like with the skipping rope, but if people were doing plyometrics and then speed. And again, speed I get through my strides or and plyometrics through that skipping. So the rest, but if you wanted it in a gym. The key thing I would say here is that every element should have all of these in it. And then you fo- you say which you're focusing on. So for me, as I said, I would in the gym predominantly focus on work capacity, just that ability to tolerate load those kind of 12 to 15 reps they're meant to help like uh stimulate like you know your hormone production more like like testosterone and especially i'm doing endurance events so 50 percent of the program might be there so the way i do it hopefully this is um not too much for people is it's in blocks so a block is power which was that strength speed or speed strength element we talked about b block is maximum strength C and a D block, depending on how much you need, would be work capacity. Because as we said, there are more increased amount of reps that you're doing, increased volume. So there'll be more exercises. And then the E block is movement. Now, every program should have something in each block. So even if I'm focused on work capacity, I might have Olympic lift technique or I might have um, a sled, like sled pushes initially then i'll have some kind of strength training exercise it could be like a a kind of heavy squat or a heavy split squat or you know if your deadlift technique is good i might have one exercise and then maybe one upper body and then if the work capacity is the the goal for me i could have four exercises or i could have maybe like three in the c block three in the d block and they'll be like 20 kettlebell swings into maybe like an inverse row where you sit underneath a bar and pull your chest to the bar and back down, keeping your core tight, back into uh, uh, like if I did a kettlebell swing, I might do a split squat and then back into maybe a push up. So I got a push exercise, a pull exercise, a knee dominant exercise in the split squat and a hinge, a hip dominant exercise in the um, in the kettlebell swings and then i might do a few extra other exercise exercises excuse me if i wanted in the d block and then the e block i could have some core work um some body weight exercises depending on what we're doing so all i'd i'd say is wherever the focus is sorry yeah so yeah so so when you're talking about these blocks uh you're saying basically that in in every workout you have some amount of these but then It potentially you would okay you're saying that for you personally you kind of you you get to a stable level where you do a most of your your work is focused uh, is focused on the work capacity but yeah but you could potentially if you wanted to be adventurous and experiment you could periodize your season your strength training season almost so that okay so 
at one at at first you you have that fifty percent or more focused on work capacity, but then once you have a period of that under your belt, you could yeah. decrease that a bit and have more of the maximum strength block, and and then exactly. even move on to power. That's how you look at it. That is generally like if I if if I wanted to use the gym more as a performance tool, that's generally what would happen, where people would do movement and work capacity in like say pre early preseason. Late preseason would be a more of a focus on work capacity and maximum strength. Kind of pre competition would be maximum strength and power where would be the focus. So rather than as you said, four exercises or six exercises in in the work capacity blocks, they might have two or three. And there's much more either exercises or time focused on the strength block and the power block. So early season, maybe 10% of times on power, 10% of time or 10 or 20% of time is on max strength. And like 50% of the time is on work capacity and 30% of the time is on um, movement, depending on how much you put in for strength. But then in the power, in the early pre, in the pre-competition phase, it could be 30% on power or 40% on power, 40% on max strength, and then tw- 10 and 10 for work capacity and movement. And they might be just included together that you do a kind of circuit. Yeah. Yeah. So depending on where you want it. And the idea, well, Vermeil was, it was more from... Um, field sports initially that you want people that they're getting naturally fast and this is a really easy way of everything is geared towards getting the biophysical properties geared towards expressing speed or expressing like expressing power yeah it, it is i mean it, it is a, a a very clear example of traditional linear periodization uh if if you periodize that in, in that way and and we have plenty of analogies in endurance sports periodization like the tra- well the traditional lydiard model for example so, yes. such a focus on work capacity uh for six months or so they were doing 100 mile weeks yeah with yeah yeah steady steady running but no particular workouts but they did have kind of as we talked about before that variation because they had hill bounds and uh so say so they did maintain that speed and that those fast twitch fibers and then they went into adding more and more of that high end in in the pre-competitive and competitive phases of the of the season so there are plenty of analogies so so it, it makes makes a lot of sense when when you when you kind of look at it that way yeah exactly and as you said there even with lydiard it's that thing of just keeping in each component and we we do that in the strength training, but we've talked about earlier that it's important to keep all the components in for whatever type of training you're doing. Yeah. Not only for most times, as you said, for performance gain, so that the transitions are easier, but also for an injury prevention, um, an injury prevention kind of thing to make sure that your body isn't going to get a sudden sh- a shock, which, which can cause most injuries. Yeah. All right. And uh, then one more question, uh, going back a little bit to the injury prevention, uh, direct injury prevention topic. So uh, when 
when we're working with a physiotherapist as triathletes, what's your recommendation for how to make the most use of that? And what I mean by that is that kind of a very typical way is that you get an injury, you go see a physio and you hope you only see them once and then you're done <laughs> and then you get out of there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I don't think that's the most effective way of doing things. What, what, what do you think? What, do you, what is your recommendation for how to work with a physiotherapist? Yeah, like I, I agree. Like, unfortunately, I find that as a, my experience as a physio and a runner, that if you get a bad bad enough injury, you kind of have that. That will be a weak spot forever. So it's it's about having a management system. It's about like nearly like servicing a car. So I know I was out for about 20 weeks with a hip injury. I know that like, okay, that can get tight if I have a longer type session or um, yeah, usually longer type sessions. But I know if I do a certain... I call it my Pilates flow class we do. I do some hockey ball work and then I might have to go into my physio. So, you know, as elite athletes, I would go to a physio at least once a week, like just for sports massage to stay, stay on a maintenance. So it is important to realize that you are like a car for working. You know, if you're driving a lot of miles in a car, you need to service your body. So it's the same, unfortunately. Regards if there's an actual specific injury or picking a physio, I always say like about three sessions or three weeks is required that if you're not seeing any benefit in that time, start looking around. Sometimes people, the injury mightn't suit a certain physio. They might be great with other ones. Um, But yeah, I, I would recommend if you're not seeing benefits in three weeks. And also if 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 there's not a management system being kind of put into place that you're not kind of doing things actively, you're not being given things actively to do at home. If it's a kind of thing of like, oh, you come to me, I'll fix you. You're back on the road for a while. That again would be a, a red flag for me. I don't yeah. know if that answers the question. Yeah, yeah, it's not just about going in there once a week, but you have to get you have to do work on on your own time as well and i think yeah but like even well i have a, I have a friend and he's a client and i remember saying to him uh, i was like yeah look you if you if you you can come to me and it's like if you do these exercises maybe see me every three weeks and he was like no i'm not going to do any exercises so he just comes in once a week you know but yeah. it's kind of setting that scene early on to know okay well based on the level of training you're doing what what is it now that's different about a maintenance kind of service level versus if you have a certain injury and I, I have sometimes people come to me and they would have gone to someone like say six, seven, eight times and then not got better. And I'm like, after three, after person to say, so after three, if, if you don't feel like, you know what, we're on top of this, it does the injury, like a long-term injury it it, would, it mightn't be better after three sessions, but you should feel like, yeah, we're we're getting to grips and I feel like I'm on the right lines with this. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's good. And I guess one one final question on that. So w- when you look around for a physio, are there anything you can look at before you actually go into one or do you kind of just have to, you know, give it a go with somebody and, and then see where, where do you feel the improvement? Yeah, I, I look. It, it is a little bit of luck, but maybe check the reviews. Check for um, check for like t- on Google. You can search as well in the reviews, like your particular thing. 
like I know myself personally, I just work on lower backs and legs. I'm, I'm not good with shoulders, you know, or necks. So even though I, I have a lot of good reviews for, I, I, I've done some, but like all the reviews are for like lower back leg issues because that's what I, I've kind of got good at. Um, so I would look at the reviews and then specifically try search for your thing. Is, is the person coming up as like, help my calf, help my calf, help my calf. If you have a calf injury, that's great. If you have a shoulder injury and you type in shoulder and oh, say I have like 75, say five star reviews, I think I might have one for a shoulder. Do you know? So it's, it's where are they specializing in? Yeah, yeah. And I think one, one thing that, that's quite handy is just asking local triathletes or if you're a swimmer asking local swimmers yes. if you're a runner asking local runners and and uh see what they go and what what they what they recommend yeah that's a, that's a big because they've been around the block as well and they'll know who who roughly in the area is good and then as i said there's a great question i ask just in general in life but it would help with this as, as well it's that thing of knowing what i know now would I have chosen this? Because that's why I say have three sessions in your mind. Because sometimes in anything, we we continue to do it because of that sunk cost fallacy. Well, you know, uh, even say a coach or well, I've always trained with this group. It's like, well, knowing what I know now, would I stay training with them? And if the answer is no, you got to get out of there. Mm. It's in, it's interesting to say that though because that's that's uh, actually something that I haven't seen as a coach too much seeing an athlete keep sticking with a physio and and it not really working but yeah I don't, I guess the sample size is fairly small uh fortunately because uh there haven't been too many too many injuries uh luckily but but the one thing that I do see is maybe more of a reluctance to see a physio when when you first have a little niggle and oh yeah that, and that that's that i see as a bigger problem potentially because that, you could a, nip it in the bud but then oh it my god of... that is a massive like that thing if you listen to the whispers you won't have to hear the screams yeah like like a great example say is knee pain a lot of knee pain is caused by say the kneecap very slightly being tilted outwards and it then grinds the knee inner kneecap against the femur or the thigh bone underneath now, if I have a triathlete come to me, honestly, one session, we can kind of just release the muscles on the outside, give an exercise, and that problem goes away. I've seen people, oh yeah, I've had this pain for like a year. But what's happened is the, the joint underneath now is really get, has got grinded. So like you've actually hurt the actual cartilage underneath the kneecap now which is so much, if at all possible, so much harder to fix. So if people could just, and that's why I'm saying, as you said, maintenance, like servicing, you got to know if you're doing a lot of miles, if you're cycling a lot of miles, if you're swimming, this is not normal. Like, you know, as I said, I've run for 20 years. It's not, it's, it's beyond what the bodies are probably meant to do, you know, to survive so you need to service your you if you had a car you wouldn't drive that car up and down the country putting like hundreds of thousands of miles on it and think oh i'll never service this car it's the same with the body so yeah definitely like definitely definitely if i would be 
telling people to at least every three to six weeks be getting some sort of like physio or massage just to make sure everything is okay. Yeah. Yeah. And they'll, sorry, and they'll save time in the long run. Yeah, like and, you'll and, spend money and, 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 and money. Yeah, because when you get a, a a bigger injury and you need to go go to see a physio, you know, go for ten sessions instead of a exactly. couple of sessions a month, then. and it's a panic, and you're stopped. Yeah. Rather than one session that keeps you on the road, and you feel way better after it. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, uh, let's move on to the rapid fire. Now, first, before we do that, sorry, uh, can can you just summarize today's discussion and give your one to three top takeaways for the listeners that you want them to remember? Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, this is great. This is flu, actually. Um, uh, yeah, one would be remember it's passive structures that get injured. So we need to make sure that we're activating, waking up those muscles through either like a kind of Pilates or through uh, gym training secondly have a well-structured uh, program that adds variety so we're not overloading the one particular spot um, so having strides included maybe a little bit of skipping and a really good structure um, that we included like so that like say like coaching um, programs like the ones you deliver I think are and I'm not like you know you didn't know I was going to say that but this is just I've had a coach myself for for years because it's just, it takes no more effort or time to do the right training as the wrong training. And like my time is precious and I think we're all the same. And then lastly, if you are doing strength training, look over what we've talked about, about having the blocks that are important and including each of those elements in it, but just focusing on whichever ones you want. And as I said, I'd be more than happy, I'll, I'll do it up maybe today, of coming up with a couple of the exercises that I talked about today and uh, I'll send that on to you. Brilliant. It'll follow along for like five minutes. Yeah, we'll have that in the show notes. And uh, now let's move on to the rapid fire questions. And uh, the first one is, what's your favorite book or resource related to running or triathlon or endurance sports? I know, I tried to think of this. Um, I don't really have a favorite book. I do like podcasts like this. They're great. I really enjoy the interviews or the podcast format is the thing I like the most. The book that's helped me the most is Anthony DeMello's Awareness. Psychologically, that just gave me a lot better perspective in life. And I ran PBs directly after that. And I think it was just because I was um, able, you know, just taking things in more perspective. Mm. So that would be the book. Yeah. I want to write a book called No One Gives a S for Runners, just because sometimes we can get preoccupied thinking we'll let people down. And in fact, they just want to be, you just want you to do the best you can for yourself. Yeah, no, that is absolutely true. And what's an important habit that you've benefited from athletically, professionally, or personally? Definitely discipline and like the like that slight edge, like doing little things correctly. Like a good example is people tell me they don't have time for naps, but if you get your lunch eaten quickly, can you make dinner for two days instead of making it every day? And then having the discipline to go upstairs, just get into bed for 20 minutes rather than scrolling on your phone or you know you lose 10 minutes there so definitely discipline on little small things has really helped yeah that's good and finally who's somebody that you look up to or that has inspired you um i think definitely your coaches have a massive like impact i've been like running kind of very competitively since my teens and you know younger coaches like um billy bolster especially uh, robert norwood and then um my main coach was Thomas Chamney, 
who went to the Olympics as well. So he just gave me such perspective on the type, like how hard you needed to train rather than this one really hard session, just the, the importance of that consistency over time. And then uh, my own current coach, Emmett Dunleavy, has been really good. Actually, that it that leads me to want to ask you some more questions just about run training, because at, at your level and now with your experience, 20 years at a very high level of running, what what are a couple of things that you've learned about uh, good run training that maybe 20 years ago you didn't know, but now you know, okay, these are kind of fundamental principles that, that I want to adhere to in, in my training and how to structure my program and so on? Definitely that, as you said, that linear model like is inc- is not correct like in ke- ha- keeping in endurance work in the summer where naturally when i was started we would have done like heavier longer stuff in the winter and then really shorter stuff where now we'll always add a, a five minute threshold before a session and then take two or three minutes off or four minutes off do the normal session and you might even finish with that or keep your long run distance up. So I've definitely, and I think uh, Jakob Ingebrigtsen and the Ingebrigtsen have been great there to show the importance of that like constant threshold work. That was something that's um, definitely improved. I've been lucky enough to train with very good groups and um, it's just the consistency of training. There's no one session they do that is, you know like 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 so unbelievably hard that when i did it with them i was like oh well that's why they're at that next level to me they'd be better at me but it was just like the next day they were always out running always doing it and that's what thomas chamley taught me most was like there wasn't one session he would destroy me in or one workout it was just like next day i'd be tired but he'd just go again and his body got used to that over time and and that's what what happened to me they were the main things. And then one thing as well is that like, don't limit yourself. I know we're talking about injuries, but don't limit yourself until you've tried something um, within reason where before I trained with Chamney, everybody would have said, Oh, don't, don't train with him. He's a lunatic. He, he trains really hard and he'll, he'll break down. And I did that till I was like, say in my mid twenties and I was running terribly then never, never, tried and then I just went to him I was like you know what I'm going to try I've nothing to lose and um, as I said once I went in there I realized it wasn't it wasn't super hard it was just the consistency was relentless and then I went training with the Australians and was doing some physio as well but they again people like oh be careful on the training again it wasn't super hard it was just another level of consistency and doing their gym and doing everything right and I remember we went to a race and Mo Farah was, he'd ran unbelievable in the 1500 meters. And then they were doing this really tough enough running session afterwards. And they were like, oh no, no one could do that. And it's like, look at every level below you. People think the things the person are doing above you is impossible. So sometimes it's like, you know, just look at what they do the next level up. And maybe try it and see, okay, maybe you will break down because these are elite athletes, but maybe you'll find that you actually had more potential than you thought. Mm, yeah, that is great. 
And uh, to finish off, uh, uh, I mean, just where can listeners find you both physically, of course, your physiotherapy practice in Ireland and, and also online? Yeah, great. So I'm in Kilkenny in Ireland. Um, and then I suppose best, oh, I have the backawarebelt.com. And then um, best places, I do have a book um, called Get to the Line in the Best Shape Possible. It's just I write articles here in Ireland. So if people want that, it would be Everard, E-V-E-R-A-R-D. And that was or for rabbit, because sometimes the way I say that is weird. So Everard Pilates, um, with an S-P-I-L-A-T-E-S dot com slash book. And then you can sign up and I can just send them some of the articles and send them a book. Great. Yeah, we'll put that, that in the show notes. Thank you so much. Great. It was great to, great to chat to you. I'm looking forward to it next time. Thanks. I really enjoyed that. Thank you so much, Mikel. I hope that you enjoyed that interview. As always, you can find the show notes on scientifictriathlon.com and we'll have plenty of links, including the video that uh, Owen will put together for us and, of course, his websites and social media profiles. Uh, remember, Owen has a book that you can get for free as an ebook or audiobook version and uh, I have that as a separate link as well in the show notes. Also, I have linked to the two studies we mentioned, the one with uh, the jump rope, uh, skipping rope training and how that can uh, cause an improvement in running economy and three kilometer time trial performance. And the other study we discussed was how your attentional focus can affect your running economy. So those will be linked in the show notes. And I also want to highlight two previous episodes I've done on injury prevention and rehabilitation, one with James Debenham in episode 209, and uh, the, the other one was with Nate Coke in episode 114. So check those out if you want to learn more on this topic. If you want to improve your triathlon performance and want help to achieve your endurance goals, then consider working with scientific triathlon coach or training plan. Whether you are getting into triathlon or you're trying to qualify for a world championship event or even wanting to race professionally, we have experience in all of those scenarios and would love to discuss further around if and how we can help you on your triathlon journey. So find out more on scientifictriathlon.com and contact us and we can discuss your specific goals and how we can help you. By the way, if you have contacted us through the contact forms on the website in the last um two weeks or so between the 5th of April and the 20th of April. Uh, there was a period there where uh, a website bug led those contact forms to not be functioning properly. So those emails, unfortunately, will not have been sent. If you know that you sent an email in that time period, please uh, resend it. And uh, now it's all working fine again. Uh, unfortunately, yeah, those contact forms were down and I didn't notice that until, until they, that had been the case for a couple of weeks. Finally, big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Fuel and Hydration, that you can find on precisionfuelandhydration.com. Use their free online sweat test and quick carb calculator to understand your fluid, electrolyte, and carbohydrate needs and individualize your plan and book a free consultation with the team to refine your strategy. Use the code TTS22 at checkout for 15% off your first order of fueling and hydration products. And thank you to Senate. Use the Senate Swim Trainer to improve your technique, power, stamina, and most importantly, your swim training consistency and get 20% off your order on the swim trainer with the promo code that you can get on zenateswimtrainer.com forward slash tts and don't forget that it's a risk-free investment if you don't love it after two weeks send it back and you'll get a full refund thank you as always for listening keep training smart and keep loving craft love.